All right, death, lesson three, the doctrine of hell. We should probably teach this on a regular basis, though we do preach hell. We need to probably teach hell because we have so many heretics and apostates in pulpits across America with some of the biggest churches and influences teaching that there is no hell anymore. And you need to be encouraged that there is a hell and it's going to be full of people. Not just bad people, good people. Because good or bad doesn't determine whether you make heaven or hell. Your relationship with Jesus Christ does. Uh, yeah, the doctrine of hell. So let's jump in. We have a lot to cover. And this may be overload for some of you, but go back and study the lesson. Um, there's just a lot here, but we want to cover it. And I didn't want to take a whole lesson and teach on hell. I want, or a whole curriculum. I wanted to take one lesson. So death releases mankind into the eternal realm. And we know that. We're, we're aware of that. We believe in eternity. And we know that you'll spend eternity either in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ or in his presence on the earth after the millennial reign or during the millennial reign. Or you'll spend eternity in hell and then into the lake of fire. But death of your physical body releases your spirit. The righteous dwell eternally with Christ. And we have to make that distinction. I don't know if we'll get to cover it in these curriculum lessons, but we don't spend all of eternity in heaven. We come back to earth. And then after the millennial reign, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And then Ephesians tells us ages to come. So we will have a body for eternity. Not this one, thank the Lord. Uh, we'll have a body for eternity. We'll only spend a short amount of time in heaven. Then we'll come back to the earth and reign. And then a new heaven, new earth, which we'll inhabit and then ages to come. And we assume it's with the same glorified body. There's nothing to indicate it would be something different. We'll cover that more in the next two lessons when we talk about the resurrection of the dead. The righteous dwell eternally with Christ while the wicked dwell for eternity in suffering and torments. And uh, the lake of fire is the ultimate end of all wicked. We understand that suffering and torments is collectively known as hell. You can have hell on earth. You can have hell in your marriage because it's suffering and torments. And Proverbs says it's better just to go live in the wilderness than in that house with that woman who's bringing hell to your life. But if she's bringing hell, there's a little bit in her. Or it could be the husband that's causing the hell, in which case the, the Bible says dwell in the attic with the mice and the, the heat. <laughs> that might be a little cooler than the hell that's down below. However, hell has not always been pure torments. And this is where we're probably going to stretch some of your understanding. The Bible reveals that hell once received the righteous dead. Hell once received the righteous dead, and we'll prove that in this lesson. So Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell, and the definition is revealing. In the lexicons of the original Hebrew language and our, the understanding of the Hebrews of Sheol, that's what's translated the grave or hell in the Old Testament, it was a proper noun indicating where the dead dwell, apart from their bodies. So the Hebrew understanding of Sheol which is translated grave or hell over and over again in the Old Testament, the Hebrews understood that meaning for them was the proper noun, proper meaning it's capitalized. Sheol is always capitalized. It's like saying cookful. Some of you have forgotten your English rules. A proper noun must always be capitalized. It is a place that would be capitalized. United States of America is capitalized. It's proper. Sheol is a place, and it's where the dead went after they departed their bodies. It's the underworld, the grave, hell, the pit. That's how it's translated over and over again in ancient writings. This is the place of no return. Once you went there, you didn't come out. 
Once you went, you don't come out, not without a Redeemer. The world of the dead, as if a subterranean retreat, including its accessories and inmates. Now think about that. That's the more full understanding of Sheol. It's a subterranean abode. And the Bible teaches us that in the Old Testament, that hell from beneath. This was the Hebrew understanding. When you died, you went to an abode beneath, and it was subterranean. It was like a giant system full of accessories and then, of course, inmates because it was a prison. Because it wasn't your final eternity. It was a temporary holding cell for both the wicked and the righteous. Now, I know we're probably stretching some of your understanding because if you're raised in the South, your understanding of hell is pretty simple. That's where the bad people go, and it's hot and forever. But the, the doctrine of hell is very complicated. It's very systematic. It's got stages. It's got compartments. It's got progressions. And demons don't come and go from there. That's bad Pentecostal doctrine. Come out, you demon from hell. Demons are not from hell. They're going there one day, but if they're in the earth, they've never been to hell, and they don't come and go like the Pac-Man ghost. That's bad Pentecostal doctrine. It's bad charismatic doctrine. With 65 uses of the word Sheol, the Old Testament very thoroughly describes the place of the mortally departed. And so let's look at a couple of this. Sheol, hell, grave, is located beneath us, and, it, and us, and so it is descended into a lot of verses that talk about descending into hell. Down, down, down. Hell from beneath. Sheol is a very large and deep abode. Several scriptures that help us define that. Sheol is a place where people are sent against their will. Even David said, I don't, I don't really want to go, and I'm thankful you won't leave my soul there. These all had hope that they wouldn't be left there for eternity. Uh, this is ascertained from the usage of Shoal with the verb yarad, to go down, indicating the action was against the person's will. They were taken down there. They didn't want to die. They didn't want to succumb. They didn't want the grave. Uh, that's why the Old Testament prophecies are saying, oh, grave, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The grave was, uh, was not a place you wanted to go. Sheol is a place of worms, darkness, hopelessness, and loneliness. The Bible is very clear that there are worms in hell. And if we, that may seem kind of bizarre to you, but if you understand that the natural realm is a reflection of the supernatural realm, and which came first, the supernatural realm, the fact that people, when they see angels, angels look like humans, but bigger. The fact that they were made way before the planets were made, that we have a body that resembles an angel's body, in form and similitude lets you know that this stuff begins in the spirit and the natural which is more real to most people than it should be is nothing but a mirror or a reflection of the demon realm or the spirit realm or the heavenly realm then we can understand that if there's worms in the natural they were worms to begin with in the spiritual and the worms helped things to decay and they help things to decompose in the natural and so apparently in hell there's a worm that just gnaws at you and causes you to eternal corruption eternal decomposition I preached a sermon a couple of months ago about the worm of regret, that you, you die and there's that regret that gnaws at you for all of eternity. I should have gotten born again. Or maybe, maybe the Lord has to deliver us from that worm in heaven. I don't know. I'm kind of just conjecting now that the regret that maybe I should have won more souls while I was on planet earth. Maybe I shouldn't have chased money so much on planet earth. Maybe I shouldn't have been a Sunday morning only Christian on planet earth. Maybe there's that worm we have to be delivered from in heaven too. 
But the Bible's very clear. There is a worm in hell for the damned. And it trues constantly. It's darkness. It's hopelessness. There is no hope once you cross over. Sheol is a place from which only the righteous can be redeemed by God. Hallelujah. Jonah 2.2, 2, Psalm 16.10, 33, and 86.13. I like to add with Jonah 2, uh, theologians disagree. I am of the doctrinal stance that when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he did die. And Jonah 2 says, and he went to hell. And it says, and my, my cry was heard in heaven from hell. The throne of God heard Jonah's cry from hell. I, I don't think it's a figurative hell. I think he died and went to hell. Because he talks about in Jonah 2 descending down, down beneath the roots or the foundation of the mountains. Which, as a geologist, is very cool because only into the 1950s when geophysics was de developed did we finally learn that mountains go down as much as they go up. And that mountains have root systems like teeth do. Jonah saw those as he went down, down, down into hell. He said, I went below the foundations of the mountains into hell, and from hell my cry entered into your throne. And God resurrected him and brought him back out of hell, the grave, into his body, and the worm coughed, or the, uh, the whale coughed him up and spit him up on the shore. I like to point out, though, he didn't have to repent in hell. He could have repented on the dock before he got on the ship. He could have repented in the bow of the ship. He could have repented floating in the water. But some Christians have such a pain threshold, they have to go to hell or go through hell before they ever say, boy, that was stupid. Don't be that stupid person because uh, there's no promise if you go to hell this time, you'll come back up out of it. So Sheol is a place from which only the, the righteous can be redeemed by God. Before Christ's resurrection, Sheol is a place even the righteous departed to after their mortal bodies fell asleep. Joseph went to hell. Jacob went to hell. These verses declare it so. David talked twice about going to hell. We know that Jonah went to hell. The grave, it's the word Sheol, the subterranean abode of the dead. But the dead is comprised of two types, righteous and damned. So Hades, let's look at Hades now. The Greek equivalent to Sheol is Hades. And we probably are all familiar with that to some degree. Hades is the abode of the dead and the common receptacle of disembodied spirits. That's the Greek lexicon. The New Testament uses this word 30 times. So I, again, let me just take a side note. I don't get how these modern heretics who have massive churches can say there's no such thing as hell. Most of them are tongue talkers. It's mostly former tongue talkers who are now teaching there is no hell. When the Old Testament uses the term 65 times and the New Testament uses the equivalent 30 times, you have 95 verses to establish the doctrine of hell. You have only 21 to establish the doctrine of water baptism and communion. Why don't they deny those? 95 verses on those two words alone. It doesn't just tell us that there is one. It describes it in detail. The Greek's definition parallels the Hebrew Sheol. And mind you, these are two cultures that develop separately. So they're describing the same thing. A few new insights to the nature, condition, and rules of hell can be gained from the New Testament. Even cities will be cast down to Hades, according to Luke. I don't know how that works out. I think it will come as a shock to them. 
I don't think it will, we'll be shocked to see Las Vegas in hell. I don't think we'll be shocked to see San Francisco in hell. I don't think we'll be shocked to see Babylon in hell. But entire cities will be cast down into hell. If a ground can open up and swallow an entire tribe or family, like Achan or, or Korah, I, I think the ground can open up and swallow whole cities. Amen. Hades was divided into two compartments, separated by a great gulf between. One side was called torments. The other side was called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Once a person's body had died, their soul was relegated to either torments or paradise, but both were still in hell. And that's where we make the distinction. According to Luke's gospel and Jesus teaching us about Lazarus and the rich man, we see an insight into hell. Everybody before the resurrection of Christ went to hell, but hell had two compartments, two abodes, as the Hebrew had foretold us. And there was a great gulf fixed in between. And one abode was called paradise or Abraham's bosom. I believe they're synonymous. One theologian disagrees a little bit, but it doesn't matter. We understand the concept is that that's where the righteous went and they were in the grave. And then you had torments, which is where the wicked went. And they were not comforted. It was not paradise. It was torments. So that's why I've capitalized the two. Luke 16, 23 and 26. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. This is the rich man being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So there's this great gulf, and once you're in torments, you can't pass over to paradise, and if you're in paradise, you can't pass over to torments. And the rich man could see that Lazarus was comforted. Paradise. While he is tormented, he's dying of thirst. He's never had the living waters. He's dying of thirst. And you know, he says, let him come dip his finger in water and touch it to my tongue that I might be refreshed. And Abraham says, not happening. You had your opportunity. Well, then at least let him be raised from the dead so he can tell my, my brothers about this place. Notice he wants to hell to be preached. A man in hell, his dying damned wish is that hell would be preached. A man with firsthand experience says, let them go tell my people about this place. And Abraham says, nope, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't believe them, they won't believe the one be raised from the dead. And I think that's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Amen. We preach hell and people mock it. We preach hell and preachers mock it. I think they're going to wake up in hell and say, well, I was way wrong. I don't want my doctrine to be corrected in hell. I want it to be corrected now as I study the Bible. Gehenna. Here's a word that Jesus used in the Gospels that we need to study a little bit more closely. Jesus often called hell Gehenna, which was a Hebrew word that means Valley of Hinnom. Hinnom derives its name from the cries or wailing. That's what the word Hinnom means cries and wailing of the little children that were burned alive in this valley as the Israelites sacrificed them to the god Moloch. Now you can pull up a picture of the idol of Moloch. It's a giant bull and it's a giant clay. It's, it's huge. It's 15, 20, 30 feet tall. 
It was a giant kiln or furnace, and it had little compartments, little cubbies. And they would take their babies and place them in those cubbies alive while the thing is a blast furnace. And there was also a place where Moloch held his hands over the furnace, and they would place babies there. That's what the Jews did. We just abort them. And we call it women's liberation, women's reproductive rights. You have a reproductive right not to get pregnant. Amen. Anyway, Moloch, you can find, in fact, you hear a lot of blogs on abortion, anti-abortion. They'll always have an image of Moloch. They'll pull up from the dark ages or from demonology because that's the same spirit. Satan hates babies because they're precious, they're innocent, and they're a threat to his kingdom. So this Valley Hinnom is where the Jews would burn their babies in the furnace, and it was called the Valley of Wailing, the screams of infants being burned alive. God, it's disgusting. It grieves my heart. This is the valley south of Jerusalem where later, after King Josiah had eliminated Moloch worship, trash, refuse, and criminal and animal carcasses were cast out and burned. They filled this place with trash to defile Moloch worship. They filled it, but there was a continuous fire there burning the refuse, the trash, criminal carcasses, and animal carcasses. And this is why people understood it as hell. That's where the babies were tormented. This is where carcasses are burned. And there was a constant smoke and stench arising from this valley. So you can understand why Jesus would refer to hell as Gehenna because it was a perfect visual portrait of what he knew hell was like. People wailing and yet never able to die. The stench of rotting flesh and burning flesh and burning refuse, it never ceased. The valley was defined by the continuous stench of decay and burning flesh, a continuous smoldering fire, and smoke without end. Pretty good picture of hell. I think teaching on this makes me want to walk a little cleaner, a little holier, draw a little closer to Jesus, and even tell the occasional stranger, there is a hell, and you may go there. Do you know Jesus? The place thereof was the perfect picture of the nature and conditions of the eternal torments of hell. And look at all the verses where Gehenna is mentioned. And we have tongue-talking preachers that say there is no hell, that God is love and love is love and love wins. No. <laughs> As if it's a competition, like love is competing. No, if God so chooses, he would just wipe everything out and start over again. Gehenna is the compartment of hell that offers nothing but torment to the wicked and turn there. I believe it's the equivalent of torments. I believe it's the equivalent of torments. We know Gehenna is not the lake of fire. That will swallow hell one day and death. Death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. So I believe, I don't see any reason to disagree or any proof to disagree that Gehenna was the Lord Jesus calling torments by another name, which is still the tormenting aspect of the grave where people still go to today. Though after the resurrection, those that are righteous go into heaven to be with the Lord because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Tartarus. Here's another aspect of hell. 
In Greek mythology, Tartarus is the deepest abyss in the netherworld used as a dungeon to torment the wicked and imprison the Titans, not the Tennessee Titans. If you don't know, we're called the Tennessee Titans because Nashville is called the Athens of the South or the Greece of the South. That's why we have the Parthenon there. Everything with the Titans has to do with Greek mythology. The little sword on our helmet is a Greek sword for the Tennessee Titans. It's all Greek mythology. So the Titans were the traitorous offspring of Uranus and Gaia. Uranus is where we get the planet Uranus. That's the god is named after. Gaia is the earth goddess. Uh, that's what uh, Al Gore wanted everybody to worship when he ran for president 18, 20 years ago. Al Gore, the Tennessean who wants to save planet Earth, he thought everybody should worship Gaia, the Greek earth goddess. She had, in Greek mythology, offspring with Uranus or Uranus, and he gave birth to the Titans, which tried to overthrow the heavens and Zeus, and he cast them down to a place that was called in the Greek mythology Tartarus. Now look at Greek mythology. After their defeat by the Olympian gods, here the Titans were kept bound with chains in a misty gloom. Bound with chains in a misty gloom. That parallels Bible doctrine, which means I believe they had a little bit of insight to what really did happen. Because we know according to Jude and 2 Peter that the angels which kept not their first estate are cast down and reserved in chains of darkness awaiting judgment. Homer describes Tartarus as a black hole in a bottomless pit. So Peter uses a verb form of the Greek word Tartarus, Tartaruo, to describe how God cast out the fallen angels by throwing them to Tartarus. First century believers deeply acquainted with Greek mythology would have fully understood the implications of such a statement. We don't exalt Greek mythology, but people worshiping demons for the last 4,000 years have insights into what happened that we don't. We have burps of it through Scripture. But if you carefully study it, and I don't promote that you do because you don't know your Bible well enough to leave it yet, nor will you ever know it well enough to leave it, but you can see glimmers of truth through what the demon realm has revealed to those that worship the demon realm. 2 Peter 2.4 And the New Living Translation says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, Tartaru, in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. The angels which kept not their first estate. They don't get to come and go. These are not the demons of today. These are fallen angels cast down. They're in chains. Judgment hasn't come yet, so demons aren't these fallen angels. Jude 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate or their first principality or their first position or what God gave them to do, which a lot of Christians don't keep their first estate, but they left their own habitation. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Very similar thing to what Peter said, revealing to us another compartment to hell. Because these angels will be cast into the lake of fire along with the wicked dead, along with hell, along with death. But they're not there in the lake of fire yet. Verse 12, uh, page 12, these two passages mirror one another and without a doubt speak of the same event and scenario. This helps establish a precedent that there is a third part to hell. In addition to torments or Gehenna and Abraham's bosom or paradise, we are presented here with Tartarus. It is evident that Tartarus is different from Gehenna and paradise because there were no angels spoken of in torments and certainly no angels spoken of in paradise. 
It may be, this is my conjecture, and I have no reason to disagree with it, or nobody's in any of my studies have disagreed with the statement. It is my opinion that Tartarus is what is at the bottom of the great gulf that is fixed between paradise and torments. A great gulf fixed so that you can't go from there to here or here to there. It's a bottomless pit, according to Homer. That's how he understood it, according to the demon culture he was a part of. Cast down in darkness and gloominess. It wasn't dark or gloomy in torments or paradise because they could see each other. But at the bottom of a bottomless pit, it would be dark. Darkness, a gloomy mist, chains. It may also correspond to the bottomless pit of Revelation out of which Abaddon, the destroyer, comes out of. We don't know. A lot of this is conjecture. Don't go study it any deeper than what I present to you here because you'll just get weird and we'll cast a demon out of you. You do good just to work on walking in love so you have a beautiful marriage, pay your tithe, and share the gospel with somebody. If nothing else, just say, there's a hell, I'm pretty sure of it. Three parts, you don't want to know about them, just get born again. <laughs> so I made this little chart here that kind of shows you some parallels. I love patterns. So on our first chart, we have paradise or Abraham's bosom. It's for humans. There was cooling water there. There was comforts and consolation there. There was fellowship Abraham was fellowshipping with Lazarus. Lazarus was fellowshipping, and it's in heaven now. We'll cover that here in a minute. Abraham's bosom is no longer in the grave. It has now been ascended. Paul said, I was caught up into the third heavens, into paradise. It's not in hell anymore. Now it's in heaven. In our second column, we see torments or Gehenna, what we would refer to as hell today. This is where people go. Hell or torments, Gehenna is for people, still is. It's unquenchable fire, torments and torture, worms there. You got worms there in Gehenna. Supernatural worms that gnaw at you. Yeah. Destined for the lake of fire. Then you have the dark abyss, which is in between, or Tartarus. It's for angels, according to the scriptures. It is darkness there. It doesn't say they're in torments down there. It just says they're in chains doesn't say they're being tormented, doesn't say they're being tortured, doesn't say there's fire down there. It says a gloomy mist of darkness. They're just down there waiting. They can't escape. They're not free. They don't need food. They're down there waiting and waiting and waiting. And what is it like to wait for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and knowing that judgment is coming? That's just about as bad as being burned with unquenchable fire. There's chains. There's a holding cell. That's all we know about it. And it's destined for the lake of fire as well. Any more than that, you get into gross conjecture and you kind of get a little goofy. So Jesus went to hell. I like saying it with great boldness because it's such a sound doctrine that just ruffles Baptist feathers. I'm really disappointed because the Methodists believe in it, but the Baptists don't. The Catholics believe in it, but the Baptists don't. The Apostles' Creed states it. The Nicene Creed states it. Why would we not believe that Jesus went to hell? It is ignorance and lack of Bible study that says when Jesus died, he went to heaven. Because you have zero scriptural evidence that Jesus went to heaven when he died. But we'll look at these verses that show us the contrary. Perhaps one of the more controversial doctrines for some Christians is Christ's descension into hell, the grave. 
Now that we have thoroughly established that all souls, righteous and wicked, descended into hell, this should not be as hard to comprehend or believe. Before Christ's ascension, everybody went to hell. If Christ preached to the saints or the prisoners, where did he have to go to do that? This is really simple doctrine building. The reason folks will reject it is because they start off with a presupposition. They presuppose Jesus couldn't ever go to hell. He's God. He can go anywhere he wants. <laughs> Amen. Why not argue it from that standpoint? Even David said, if I make my bed in hell, yet are you with me. All right. Psalm 1610. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. This is a messianic psalm, Psalm 16. It's the first prophecy indicating that Christ would descend into hell like all men before him had to. The Greek word is, a Hebrew word is sheol. Thou will not leave my soul in hell. And the translations translate holy one capitalized because it's a proper noun. It's referring to God. How in the world would God ever go to hell and not be, have the potential to be left there but not be left there except the prophecy that, it, that it's the Messiah redeeming mankind? The, the totality of Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should go study it. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. So we already established that hell is a subterranean abode that is beneath, that seems to be, spiritually speaking, in the center of the earth, though we know naturally it's not in the center of the earth, but it is a spiritual abode. And if Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, I must go to the heart of the earth heart of the earth. doesn't say anything about heaven. I mean, was there another time when Jesus was somewhere for three days and three nights and it was heaven? No. He's prophesying about his death. We clearly know that because he said, there shall be no sign given unto man but that of the prophet Jonah. What's the sign? I'm going to hell for three days and three nights. And then what happened after three days and three nights? He was resurrected. Jesus spent three days and three nights in hell while his body spent three days and three nights in the tomb. So pretty simple to establish that. Luke 23, 43, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now this may be the one verse where everybody says, He went to heaven, except paradise wasn't in heaven yet. So paradise has been established as the Abraham's bosom, the, the righteous aspect of, of hell, the grave. Now look at my argument here. As we previously saw, paradise was part of hell or the grave. The thief on the cross was not about to beat everyone else to heaven, traveling directly to heaven with Jesus, especially since at the death of Christ, redemption had just begun and had not been completed. So if we believe that Jesus went to heaven, and that this paradise is in heaven, then what Jesus is telling the thief on the cross is that today, as in there's only three hours of daylight left by the time Christ is speaking this, maybe six hours at the most, 
within the next six hours, you're going to be in heaven with me. But redemption took another three days to complete. So what we're saying then is that the thief on the cross is a special category of human being upon which the rules of redemption that have been prophesied for 4,000 years did not apply. Are we sure we want to go down that tricky little path based on one word from the Lord Jesus on the cross? Or do we want to expand our doctrinal study and realize paradise is where Lazarus was, in hell, but not in torments, in comfort and consolation? It's a pretty simple deduction. The thief could not enter into heaven without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that doesn't happen for three more days. Paradise was the righteous portion of hell, the grave. So let's look at this next verse, Acts 2.24. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. And the word pain, there is pain. Speaking of Jesus Christ, because it was not possible that he should be held or holden. For David spake or speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, preaches Christ, went to hell. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, makes reference. He went to hell. And he came back again. Pains of death implies that there is a literal agony and intolerable anguish in death. That's what the Greek word is. But death could not hold him. Amen. I like that. Imagine that God would taste death just like man must. That Jesus had to suffer pain to understand the anguish of a body dying and then redeem us. Acts 2.31, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. Twice, Peter quotes Psalm 16. Christ's resurrection is as much a reference to his soul coming up out of hell as it is to his body coming up out of the grave. I want to say that again. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is just as much a reference to his soul coming up out of hell as it is his body coming up out of the grave because his soul was resurrected or we would say raised up his soul was not left in hell it was raised up out of the center of the earth and in coming into the natural then his body was raised up out of the grave we don't think about it that way we think about the resurrection as strictly being the body but where was the essence of Jesus where was the Godhead before then it was in hell the Lord Jesus and we'll start splitting up the Trinity there. Well, the Holy Spirit was technically in the earth. God the Father was technically on the throne of heaven, but Jesus was in hell. But then how do you divide the three? It's just as much a reference to his soul not being left in hell, but being brought up again. Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. Now that he ascended, speaking of Jesus, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Here's Paul witnessing that what Jesus said, that what David said, that what Peter preached probably 20 years before Paul wrote this is true. Now we have Pauline, a Pauline witness, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth, which is where hell is. Before he could ascend, he had to first descend. He descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he that descended is, is the same also that ascended up far above all heaven that he might fill all things. 
But his ascension into heaven didn't happen for 40 days after his resurrection. So we have a doctrinal tension now that we have to resolve. I'm not sure we'll be able to do it this morning. We'll look at that here in a second. Part of what Jesus did in hell was preach the gospel to those spirits, both human and fallen angels, that were being held there, 1 Peter 3.19. By the Holy Spirit, he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison. You mean like the state penitentiary? Like, you know, the Jerusalem Correctional Facility? No. Where are spirits held in prison? In hell. By the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus went and preached to those who were in prison. Now, some theologians will disagree. Maybe it wasn't the demons he was preaching to or the fallen angels, just the saints. I happen to believe, and it doesn't matter one way or another, I kind of like to visualize that he stood from Abraham's bosom side, because that's where those who died in faith went, preached across the gulf to the damned, and I just happen to think it kind of echoed down too. I think if God has a voice, those at the bottomless pit are going to hear the voice of Christ preaching in the demon realm or the spirit realm. If he's preaching in prison, everybody's hearing that because he has sent me to preach to those that are bound. It's fulfillment of Isaiah 61. And just because the bound are preached to doesn't mean they get delivered. But for the righteous, he preached deliverance to the captive and they came up. Many Christians ignorantly believe that Jesus died on the cross and returned to heaven to be with the Father for three days and three nights. There is absolutely zero scripture, precedence, or indication alluding to, indicating, hinting at. This is just wishful ignorance. This passage is our third witness that Jesus went to hell and stayed down there until his resurrection. His ascension into heaven to be seated there at the right, at the Father's right hand, didn't take place until Acts 1, 40 days after the resurrection. Now consider that. He did not ascend to the Father's right hand until Acts 1. We all know that, but we don't think about the timeline. So he stops off on planet Earth with a glorified body, appears to above 500, as Paul tells us, disappearing, reappearing preaching to the guys on the road to Emmaus about expounding unto them everything about Moses and the prophets had to say. They didn't even recognize him until the very end. Eating fish, restoring his apostles. He did this for 40 days. That means he had not given gifts unto men yet because he doesn't give gifts unto men until he ascends. So for 40 days, we're in this weird transition where there's no gifts being given. There's no apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This is kind of also one of the arguments why theologians debate, and it doesn't matter because we're 2,000 years removed. Did the church start at the resurrection or at the day of Pentecost? Did the church start at the resurrection at Christ's ascension when gifts would have been given or 10 days after that at Pentecost? Because you have different events between Passover and Pentecost, which is 50 days past Passover, so maybe technically it's 47 days. The resurrection is three days after the Passover, then 47 more days to Pentecost, which is 50. There's your math. We don't know. And you know what? I don't really care because we're so far removed that we're enjoying the blessings of the resurrection. But it's fun to bog down on this and study it out and work out your own salvation rather than be kind of like a social media Instagram Christian with skinny jeans, purple lights, and a boy George hat. 
You look good, but your doctrine stinks. <laughs> In studying on a lot of this stuff, especially the resurrection of the dead, I had to repent and say, Lord, I'm an ignorant man. I don't know doctrine. And I really began to understand that the American church has doctrine about as deep as a thimble. And that quenches their thirst. And it really is shameful. For all the time we have on our hands with technology now, we wasted on more technology. And your Bible hasn't changed since it was codified. And we're still an ignorant bunch of American believers. The Lord Jesus speaks to us like the whore at the well in Samaria. You don't even know what you worship. We need to know our God. We need to know our salvation. Otherwise, we'll let it slip. We must make a distinction between resurrection and ascension. Immediately following his resurrection, Jesus revealed to Mary that he had not yet been to the Father. John 20, verse 17, Jesus says unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. So his first day out of the grave, the first hour or two out of the grave, he says, I've not been there yet. And he, he's telling her that, trying to comfort her. She wants to hug him. He says, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. What happens when he ascends to the Father? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is poured out. So the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out yet. won't be for another 37 days. Gifts haven't been poured out yet. won't be for another 37 days. But his resurrection has taken place. Now the other question is, so then where are the disembodied spirits that he led up out of hell? We looked at last week that at his death, graves open and some of the saints were resurrected. Where are they? What kind of body did they have before the resurrection? There is this giant unknown around the death, burial, and resurrection in the natural. We don't understand the fullness of everything it did. We only have record of things happening and not enough scripture to explain it to us. So Christ dies on the cross, graves open, people are resurrected. Old saints. With what body? Did they have a body before Christ's resurrected body? And where are they now at the resurrection three days later? And where are the disembodied spirits that he led as a captive train? Do they have to hung, hang around for another 37 days till he ascends on high? We don't know. All we know is we want more smoke, more purple lights, and tighter skinny jeans. We want to lead worship in Air Jordans from 85. And we love our worship leader with a nose stud. And the water is draining out of the American church as we get more and more shallow every passing service. I study this and I think, God, I don't know. Great is the mystery of righteousness. And if I can crack all of these eggs, it's not so great a mystery. Immediately following, let's see, at the empty tomb, it appears Jesus had only ascended up from the lower parts of the earth to re-inhabit his now glorified body. This is his resurrection. At his ascension in Acts 1, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto, me, unto men. I left typo there. At his ascension, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Christ's ascension released the ministry gifts into the earth and also allowed for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon all flesh through the Pentecostal experience 10 days after the ascension. Pentecost officially launched the church age, the dispensation of time that could only have been produced by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So there you have a brief synopsis of the doctrine of hell. You have before the resurrection of Christ, everybody went to the grave. Sheol, hell. But it had two compartments. Torments, Gehenna, or paradise, Abraham's bosom. And in between a great gulf fixed that at the bottom we conject was Tartarus or the bottomless pit out of which Abaddon or Apollyon will arise out of in the Revelation. And now at the ascension of Christ, he led captivity captive. He led a captive train out and took Abraham's bosom with him because you wouldn't leave Abraham down there. He's the father of our faith. And these all having died in faith were persuaded of the promises. They were led by faith, led by the Lord Jesus into heaven. And now we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 or 12 uh, that Paul, when he ascended, he was caught up into paradise, into the third heavens. We see paradise now in heaven. So all that's in hell now is torments and a bottomless pit. And one day both of those will be cast into the lake of fire. So now to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord or to be in hell and nothing in between. Amen.